Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to start from verse 35 and read all the way through the beginning of chapter 6. Once again, I know many of us have shared that this is such a long chunks of passages that we're reading, that we're trying to study. Once again, if, if we did the whole book of Mark, it would take about two years. And so there are so many different things that we want to continue to address. And so that's why w- what we're doing is we're just kind of giving you a bigger picture of what the Word of God is saying in this passage as we're studying the book of Mark. And it's through Life Group as you study that passage where you can go a little bit more deeper and share some of the insights as God speaks to us. And so that's why I want to make sure that we understand that this is not going to be going into every single phrase, every single word, every single sentence, which I love to do. That's part of exergesis. But one of the things, I want you to get the theme. I want you to get the the thrust of that portion that we study. And so I'm going to talk about that today as we look at these uh, several chapters. And I wanted to start off as we're talking about the book of Mark and this idea of proclamation. I'm wondering how many of you have seen fortune tellers you know, those booths all around Hong Kong. Can, I, can you raise your hand if you have seen any of those? Okay. I, I just wanted to show you some pictures so that you kind of know. Uh, they're sitting there, and um, if you don't read Chinese, sometimes you're like, oh, it must be a restaurant or something. You know, those chairs, you know, they sit out there. But they're, they're all over the place. In fact, they are on Temple Street. There's many of them on Temple Street. There's some on the island in some of the major areas like Wan Chai, Causeway Bay, and some of those areas. But you will notice that there are so many of these booths that you will see. And see, this is how they make money. They also do it in English too, right? So they, uh, and one of the things you'll notice is they're, they're always, there's never a young person. It's these old people, gray hair, balding. You know, so it's, it's one of those things. It's a sign of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> look at them. And they're reading your palms. And the reason why they're there is because they are there to predict the future. The reason why many of us in this world go to these fortunes, some of you might have, and we've got to pray for you because you've got to go repent. But anyway, if you have gone, and I know some of you have parents who have gone, the reason why is because they want certainty of the future. One of the most scary things that you will face in your life is this uncertainty of a future. When am I going to die? What's going to happen to me in the next couple of years? We all want to know. We want the certainty. And one of the things that I realized that ever since coming to Hong Kong and just living in Asia, I saw this in Indonesia for a year, but more so now as I'm here in this side of the world, one of the things I realized is how superstitious people in Asia are. Some of you might be like, I'm not superstitious. Uh, If you think about it a little bit, there are a lot of things that we do that in many ways are very superstitious. Uh, Think about the whole feng shui. Some of you are like, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't need to face the sun. I'm going to face this way. I have another story I'll share some other time about that, that I started maybe, uh, there might, might be feng shui. I started... I was open to believing in it, but I'm like, I'm a believer in Christ, so I had to go repent. 
But there are things that seem so real that you start believing it. That's why I think it is something that we have to be aware of and be cautious of. And this is the problem that I see, is that the reason why these superstitious ideas and things that, about the future is because we struggle, as I said, with fear of the future. I think this also feeds into this mindset that is very results-oriented. If some of you struggle in your walk with Christ and it's because you're not seeing changes or you're not seeing certain things that you do for God and you don't see results, I think a lot of it is because you have been conditioned in the superstitious way. It's about result. If you do this right, then you'll get this. And if you do this wrong, then you're going to get punished in this. And this is the problem. It carries over into the church. It carries over into your Christian life, your walk with Jesus Christ. That's why if you something bad happens, you realize, oh, gosh, I didn't do so. Or because I sinned against God, now he's not going to love me. Like, that is all superstitious mindset. That is a very works-oriented. That's why we see in the church, we have people who are not gospel fluent. It is a foreign language to them. Until they begin to experience love and grace, that even though they don't deserve anything, they receive something, and that's when they realize this is God. So I wanted to show you this quick video that I thought was interesting because... This year is the year of the what? Tiger. Can I ask, do we have any tigers? Or, okay, one, couple, couple. No wonder you knew it was the year of the tiger. You're like, ah, this is the year of the tiger. And I thought it was so interesting. So what I'm going to show you is the South, morning, uh, South China Morning Post, they interviewed one of these fortune tellers. This was back in January. He goes, this is the year of the tiger. And so this and this will happen. And I, I want you to look at this with a couple things in mind. First of all, how many of the things that he said came true? Okay, I want you to, to kind of have that kind of lens as you're watching all the stuff. This is back in January now. The year of the tiger when it got started, he started giving all these, I was going to say prophetic words, but anyway, all these <laughs> fortune-telling things. And then the second thing I want you to kind of look at this video with is how many of his predictions are 50-50 statements? Some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, it's going to rain today. That's a 50-50 statement because it's either going to rain or not rain. You're going to meet a new person. You will either meet a new person or not meet a new person. So he's going to give a lot of predictions. So once again, I want you to see how many of them came true and how many of his statements are 50-50 predictions. Let's watch this together. <laughs> By the way, uh, Master, Master Joseph is on 49 Temple Street. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know where he is. I mean, how did you feel? Let's just imagine you have no belief system whatsoever and you are just superstitious and you believe that maybe these fortune tellings can help. You can now understand why so many people trust him. Because some of the stuff that he's saying, some of them were true, came this year. Other things as you're watching, you realize 
some good luck. Well, what's little luck, a lot of luck, or some. And it's almost as if this is going to happen, but then this can also happen. 50-50 predictions. Why am I sharing all this? Because I think deep inside every single one of you, God has created you to know something that is bigger and greater. This is the reason why many of us so much, we desire so much to know about the future and to have certainty in our lives. And one of the things you will realize very quickly is that you might not have certainty in the things of this world, but you can have certainty when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so what I want to share today is the one thing that I hope that it will ring true because this is, this is my point, one point, but with four stories to illustrate what I'm sharing. And here's the one thing. This is simply the one thing. As we claim Jesus' authority, we can overcome life's uncertainty. That as we claim his authority, that we can now overcome, face the life uncertainties that come our way. I want to talk about this idea of Jesus' authority. So let me just kind of mention this really quickly, and then we'll jump into the stories and try to highlight why, as we claim Jesus' authority, that we could overcome life's uncertainty. When we talk about authority, I, I think we got to look at this word because I think normally many of us in this room, we don't like this word. This word authority, because it's connected to a lot of negative things. Uh, our parents have authority over us, especially if we're living under their uh, house, in their roof, under the roof. Uh, we think about leaders, law enforcement, uh, etc. So when we think about authority, many of us don't have all these great feelings when we think about that word. Another thing that I want us to think about is this, is that in the general, the authority, what it does is that it produces a sense of respect, a sense of awe, or maybe a sense of fear, as we just talked about. But simply put, the word authority signifies permission. This is why it describes power, influence, rule, control, and privilege. So when a person has authority, they are above others in determining such as rights and privileges, and they are the ones who have the ability to decide. That's why many of us don't have good impressions of authority, because many people have abused the authority that has been given to them. That's why the greatest authority we need to understand, it comes from God. And God gave, God the Father gave it to God the Son, Jesus Christ. You remember Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Listen to what it says. Read the yellow section with me. It says this, and Jesus said to them, come on, what did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So God's authority, as we see in this passage, has now been given to Jesus. And he has his authority. And later on, you realize that he has given that authority to us. What Jesus is simply doing is he's claiming this privilege to power. God has given me this authority. And he has used this authority all throughout the New Testament, especially the Gospels. You will notice that he used his authority to heal, to forgive, to uh, cast out demons, and do all these supernatural works. 
Now, for you to fully understand this, there are two Greek words that I want you to understand because this will help us. Uh, those of us who are a little bit more astute or we're like studious, this will help you to understand that idea of authority and the difference between power. There are two Greek words that I, I want to show you in the New Testament, and you'll see this all throughout, even in Paul's writing. The first word, and we talked about this many months back, even a couple of years back, uh, the word deutimus. This word is very important because it has simply the definition of power. That's where we get the word dynamite. So this dunamis power, it simply means the ability to do something. That, that's what it simply means. If there's dunamis power that comes from it, it's the ability to do something, the power to do something. Now, the next Greek word that you need to understand as we're talking about authority and it's going to link to power and things, it's not only deutimus, but it's exousia. And this word exousia means authority. What is the difference? Because it also means power, but it has this caveat of authority, and what it simply signifies is the right to do something. So Jesus Christ has the exousia because he rose again from the dead. He is God himself, that he has the power, and the right to do what he's doing. So once again, these two words in the New Testament reminds us that God has this power, the ability to do something, and then he has this authority or power because he has the right to do something, because he's God and we're not. Now with these two things, we're going to talk about how Jesus had this authority and that authority that we have now to overcome the uncertainty of life. So we're going to look at four stories in this passage, and I'm not going to have time to expound on a lot. Hopefully this coming week when you study with your life group, you can go dig a little bit deeper. I'm just going to give you a 30,000 feet overview of just the progression of the story and understanding some key things. And so we're going to talk about the calming of the storm. We're going to talk about a demonic man being healed. We're going to talk about the healing of a bleeding woman. And then we're going to talk about the raising of uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jairus' daughter from the dead. And each of these stories, I want us to look at three things. As we're reading it, I want you to think about these three things. First of all, what is the circumstance? The second thing is what was communicated, whether by the people or Jesus, what was communicated? And lastly, what was the conclusion? What was the conclusion? What happened at the end? So let's go ahead and talk about how when we claim Jesus' authority, we can overcome life's uncertainty. Let's first read verse 35 through 41. Listen to what it says. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Can I, I'm going I'm to pause all throughout these passages because once again, I want you to think about those three things. What was the circumstance? What was being communicated? And what was the conclusion? Right away, we notice that after doing, as we studied the passage before, after all this ministry we see that Jesus said to the disciples, let's go across to the other side. 
One of the things that I want you to understand is Jesus never does anything without a purpose. There was something that Jesus probably wanted the disciples to understand and to learn. So he literally tells these disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took with him uh, them in the boat just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, I want you to understand, once again, what is the circumstance? Here they are purposely being brought over to the other side and there was this storm that came. And the part that I want you to highlight is we see here that the waves were coming in and breaking into the boat that the boat was already filling. You know, a lot of times we question God's love for us, especially when we're in the midst of going through something. Because all we're focusing on are the things around us. The boat is already being filled with water. For some of us, it's things that are happening that's not going the way we, and we're like, God, where are you? But there is something that I want you to understand. And this is what I think God sometimes communicates to us. Sometimes he allows certain things to happen because out of your free will, you decide, you know what, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do A, B, and C all by myself. And he will just simply say, go ahead and do it. Because the end goal for him is for you to come and fully trust in him that he's greater than you. He is wiser than you. He knows he's stronger than you. And he knows what he's doing. The question is, will you trust him? And the reason why some of us are possibly going through the things that we're going through, because it is a process of breaking, that God wants you to come to the end of yourself, where all your manipulation and all your trying to figure things out and trying to contact that person and trying to do all this stuff, maybe what God is trying to do is allowing you to do it so that you could come to the end of yourself. By coming to the end of yourself, that simply means you're saying, God, I realize I can't do it. I need you. Some of you are not going to understand this until you get married and even have children. Because there are a lot of things that are outside of your control. You can raise them. I have seen people with kids raise them in incredible, loving homes, and they completely rebel. I've seen families who are just incredible families, but their kids are on drugs and they have gone astray. You could control things in your life, but I'm telling you right now, there are some things that are beyond your control. And it's not necessarily for that person, but sometimes it's for you. That we come to the end of ourselves to say, God, I cannot do this. That's what the disciples were experiencing. They don't have control over the winds. They don't have control over the waves. I'm wondering what waves and winds you're facing and God is trying to get your attention that you cannot control everything in your life. He goes on and it says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. That's beautiful. I don't know why. Here's Jesus. <laughs> the boat is probably going crazy, water, and he's just chilling. Yeah, he's not really sure. He's knocked out. He's probably exhausted from all the hours of ministry. If any of you have done ministry, you know how tiring it is. Amen. It is exhausting. And so he literally crashed out. 
And they woke him and said to him, what? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. This is an incredible sight. They're freaking out. He finally wakes up and he speaks to the wind and to the waves. And it says here, there was great calm. And then he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The reason why Jesus was asking, do you still have no faith, is what happened earlier. They saw so many miracles. They saw so many things. It is there to help demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here, to help show them that he is the Messiah, that there's no one else like him. And so that's why he wanted them to believe and to know that he is the son of God. But after experiencing all these things, they still do not believe. Or can I say it this way? They don't fully understand. We are not in control of the storms and the winds and the waves that we're going to face. These disciples thought they were going to die. That was the circumstances. I want you to notice even in verse 39, as we just read, it says, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace be still. That word rebuke, if you study this carefully, it means to order. So literally Jesus in his authority ordered the wind and the waves to be still. Just from his word. So what is the conclusion? Well, it's simple. Jesus has authority over nature, over all creation. Despite seeing that Jesus, what he did prior, the disciples still could not fully understand his authority and his power. In fact, you will see the response, the conclusion of what happened in the story. There was this great fear. That word or phrase, great fear, is translated as terrified to have all it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like oh god god's gonna punish me but it's, it's a sense of all it's like when you climb a mountain and you look out and you see a sunset before you you're, you're in a sense of all when you go out into the deep ocean and you see how deep it is you're you're in a sense of all that's the feeling that these disciples had because they realized they are in the boat with this person who was claiming to be the son of God, and they were in reverence and in awe. I like how the message translation translates it. They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway, they ask, winds and seas at its beck and, beck and call. Can I ask us, when was the last time you were staggered by Jesus Christ? When was the last time kind of you, your breath was taken away for that one moment? Like, oh, oh, when was the last time? When I see these little kids watching these K-pop stuff, and like, ah! I'm just like, wow. If they only knew Jesus. 
Some of them do know Jesus, but they worship BTS and Blackpink more. It's called an idol. Can I just challenge you? When was the last time you were staggered in awe of who Jesus Christ is? What he has done? That's why our eyes are constantly turning to other things. That's why our hearts are always have the proclivity to gravitate to those things that are temporary pleasures that do not fully satisfy because we are not staggered and in awe of who God is in his authority and what he is able to do in your life and in my life. As we claim Jesus' authority, we can overcome life's uncertainty. That's the first story. Let's continue on and see what happens here. The second story, chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Once again, what is the circumstance? And what is being communicated by the people or Jesus? And what is the conclusion? Let's read this together. It says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasene. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched his chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let's just pause here for a second. What's happening is that this man is demon-possessed. That no one was able to hold him down or shackle him down because he would hurt people and he would hurt himself. I just want to, as I piggyback on what I shared a couple weeks back, people who are demon-possessed, they have this extraordinary power. I've experienced it personally because I was at a retreat and this person was demon-possessed. It took close to five youth pastors to jump on this person to hold this person down because they would push everyone. They had ignored, and they're not, they're not big. And it, they had a small frame, but they had some incredible power. This idea of cutting, it's, it's mutilation. And I want to speak on this just very, I don't know, I, it's not in my notes, but I just feel there are some of us who might be engaging in cutting or you know of somebody or you were in one time in your life cutting. And I understand, not in terms of experience, but I understand why people do it is to numb the pain that they're feeling in their heart. It's better to focus on the pain here than in your heart. But I'm going to be bold enough this morning and say, I just don't think that's from the Spirit of God. Now, some of you might be struggling with mental health. Some of you might be struggling with different things. But there might be some hurt in your life that you have not resolved. And the Bible tells us that that anger, that bitterness, you open a door for Satan to come and have a foothold and a stronghold in your life. And you're cutting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And I want to speak to you and just simply say, if that's any of you, that Jesus Christ has the authority to set you free. That's why when we look at the circumstances, situation, they come to the other side, and it says, it says here there is this man 
who has been this way for so long that literally they could not bind him. He would break every single, and he would be in this cave, in this tomb, in hiding and living in darkness. He would cut himself. Now, I don't know about you, but if you say, okay, Jesus, we're going to the other side. You saw this. You'll be like, okay, we'll see you later. We'll pick you up in, a, in about three hours. We will leave. But listen to what happens, and what did, what did Jesus do? And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So what was going on is that the spirit, the evil spirit recognized who Jesus was in his authority. He says, why did you come here? Did you come here to try to torment me? And he even acknowledged that Jesus was the son of the most high God. It's interesting that the ESV translates it as an unclean spirit. We have a spirit, but it's an unclean that in many times when we look at it, it is a demonic spirit. And listen to what Jesus, and Jesus asked them, what is your name? It is identifying that spirit, that evil spirit. And listen to what it says. My name is what? Everyone say that. Legion. For we are many. Some of you might not know this, but legions back in that time, it represented close to 4,000 to 6,000 troops. So I want you to think about this for a moment. I am legion. That means I am a demon with close to 4,000 or 5,000, 6,000 spirits demonic spirits and then he says and he begged him earnestly to not send them out of the country now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter there them so he gave them permission so once again authority giving permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed out down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. You know, it's kind of interesting. As soon as he identifies the spirit, he says, I am legion. He's about to cast it out, but he says, send us to the pigs, the herd of pigs. So he does that, and then we see that he goes and he tells some people, the herdsmen fled and told the people in this country. And I want you to see what he says and what happens afterwards. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he, has get, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him to, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The reason why these people in the city got angry at Jesus 
was because there was a loss to economic gain. This is the part I want you to understand about Jesus' authority. A lot of times we are not so concerned about people, but we are concerned about our own benefit. These people should have been rejoicing because they knew this man for so many years on the things that he would do to himself. They should have been bowing down and saying, Jesus, you're, you are the son of God. You have this authority. You are able to bring clarity into this region of our world because you casted out this demon. But what were they concerned about? Because they realized by having the pigs, the herd of pigs, having the demonic spirits jumping into the water, it was an economic loss. What is the point that I want you to think through and maybe even ask yourself? How many times in Jesus' authority is telling you to do something, but we reject him? Why? Because it is a loss to us. Let me rephrase it and make it very practical. If God tells you, I want you to go to Afghanistan and give your life for me and serve me there. And he's speaking in his authority through the word of God for you to obey. Many of us will not do it. Why? Because we're always thinking about the loss. Loss of life, there's a possibility. Loss of your career, loss of your future, loss of a relationship. This is how we operate almost on a daily basis. When God in his authority tells us through his word, because his word is authoritative, and he tells us to obey and to follow him, oftentimes we calculate, we try to figure out, what am I going to lose? No wonder all throughout scripture when Jesus was trying to call people to be his followers, what did he say? He says, if you want to follow me, and be my disciple, that you have to what? You have to die, give up your life, take up your cross, and follow me. You have to give up your father, your mother, your brother, or sister. It doesn't mean that you have to totally do, distance them, but he says, you got to love me that much more that it appears as if you don't love your father, your mother, or your brother or sister. And he's saying, yes, even the things of this world. Can I ask us, how many of us, when people see our lives, they see a person who is under the authority of Jesus Christ and says, God, Jesus, this, this is not my life to live. It is yours that you have given me, and I will do anything, whenever, whatever, whichever way, and wherever you want me to go, I'm, I'm fully surrendered. When was the last time? These are things we've got to think about and the things that we see. So demons even submitted to Jesus' authority. And what was the conclusion? He has authority over every single demonic spirit. That's why that authority that Jesus has has been given to us. We can speak to demonic spirits and cast it out, not only in our lives, but in others. As we claim Jesus' authority, we can overcome life's uncertainty. Just because of time, let me just share with you chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. This is what we're going to be studying in life groups. I pray that you'll have more time to read it and to study it. 
I'm going to share it as a summary, and hopefully it will trigger some things because you know this story. There was a man named Jairus who was a, a ruler of a synagogue, and his daughter passed away. And out of desperation, he begins to ask Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? So Jesus, having compassion, he is on his way, and all of a sudden, a throng of people, just people gathered around him, because this is Jesus. He's already doing all these miracles. And as he's walking to Jairus' house, we see that there's someone who touches him on his cloak. And as soon as this woman touches him, Jesus says, who touched me? Now, the interesting thing is he's surrounded by people. People are probably pressing against him, so there are many people touching him. But Jesus knew something that these disciples did not know. And he says, no, who touched me? Those of you who don't know the story, it's a story about a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine just this disease or this condition where you're constantly bleeding for 12 years and you're just sick and tired of it, and you're out of desperation, you heard Jesus was in town, and you, you, wanted, you were so afraid, you weren't even have the courage to go up to him, you just wanted to touch his cloak. And that's what she does, in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ is able to heal. And as soon as she touches his cloak, the power goes out, and it touches her, and she is instantly healed. In fact, let me give you some thoughts on this so that you can understand it even when you go over it in life group in verse 29 we see that after touching jesus the word it says here she felt now the reason why that word is important felt is because it literally means she knew what does she know well this was her condition for 12 years and as soon as jesus she, as soon as she touched jesus's cloak it says she felt or she knew, and the word knew, like knowing, in the original language means to know by experience. So it would simply be, I'm bleeding, I'm sick, and all of a sudden you touch, and then by experience, because it stopped bleeding, now you know. And she realized that this healing occurred. Huh. With even Jesus overtly, not even knowing who touched, who touched him. Now, let me just pause in the story. And Jairus, as you know, the ruler of the synagogue, can you imagine? You're like, oh, Jesus. As soon as he comes, he's like, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Can you come? And so he's like, yes. And he's walking, all of a sudden he stops. And Jairus is like, Jesus, we're over here. So he literally paused to heal this woman and speak to her. But this is the key. How would you have felt if you were Jairus? Think about it for a moment. Can we hurry? What's going on? Can I just share this? There are times when God delays things in your life, even though it might be a promise that he has given to you. But a delay doesn't mean that he will not fulfill his promise. Can I get a good amen to that? 
what he does is he's always purifying us. Are we fully trusting? Are we fully believing that Jesus Christ and only Jesus can do it and only God can do it? Some of you right now, there have been dreams and things that he had put into our hearts and it might have died because of the circumstances of things that have happened, maybe some mistakes that you have made. And so the thing that God wants to do and, he, and he's been speaking to you, it's, it's delayed because of some of those decisions you made, some of the things that you have done. But I want you to understand a delay doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to fulfill his promise. What he's doing is trying to humble you. He's trying to get you to the point where you're going to trust in him and say, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I do, but it's what you're doing and you're going to fulfill your word. And so what does he do? He comes and already the story says that there were whalers. They were professional whalers. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I heard about this even in Korea. They hire people to because the louder you cry, the spirit will then, you know, will go. And so the people are crying, wailing. What a job. Something like, well, if I get paid, then I don't mind. You know, you're wailing and stuff. So here are these whalers already. And what does that mean? They already determined that she's dead. Then what did Jesus say as he walks in? I mean, first of all, you want, you want to think through, like, what do you think where Jairus is thinking? He's probably thinking, gosh, that woman who was bleeding for 12 years, she delayed me. Or like, what's wrong? Like, if Jesus came only faster. But what does Jesus say to those people? Take them out. Because she's only what? Sleeping. Now, if you were part of the group, you'd be like, <laughs> no, she's not. She's dead. Once again, they didn't know Jesus' authority. That not only does he have authority over the dangers of the waters, not only did they not know the authority he had over the demonic spirits. Not only did they not know that he had power over bleeding women, diseased people, but he has authority over death. He goes and speaks to the woman, uh, the little girl, and simply says, wake up. She gets up and she is brought out and everyone is amazed at the power and the authority of Jesus. The part that I want you to really understand is that Jesus can actually do something incredible and he is doing something good in your life right now, but you just don't believe it. That's why when you look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we're not going to read it, but I want you to know that when he goes to his hometown, even his family members don't believe him. People make derogatory comments that he's a carpenter's son because they don't believe him. There's no way someone who grew up like this could do all that stuff. And I'm wondering if God is trying to show you his authority and his power in your life. And out of your skepticism and your doubt, you don't believe that God can do something in your life. If he is, has authority and is Lord over all of creation, the demonic spirits, diseases that he's able to heal, 
and he's able to raise people from the dead, why would you not believe? I think that's the greatest story and the most important part of Christianity. Every single religious leader has died, they are dying, and they will die. But Christianity is the only religion that says that this Son of God died, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. The last weapon that Satan had was death. But when Jesus Christ died, Satan thought that it was over. Yes, we got him. But when he rose from the dead on the third day, now he has victory even over death. The last final blow. What does that mean for us? That means that if we were to die, we will not really be dying. We'll spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. No matter what you're going through in your life uncertainties right now, you know your final destination. If I can use that term that I shared earlier, you know your fortune. You know where you will end up because your life is secure in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Do you live like that every single morning you wake up? I pray that you will live with this resurrection power, the authority that comes from heaven above through Jesus Christ that we have this authority now in our lives. That's why the one thing, once again, is that we can claim Jesus' authority. As we claim Jesus' authority, we can overcome life's uncertainty. I want to close. As you can tell, we're going to take communion. I want us to apply a couple of these things into our lives and our situation right now. The first thing is this. Expect Jesus to work. It's that simple. Some of us right now, we, we have doubts. We don't think that we're good enough or all these things that run through our mind. But I want to just encourage you, ask God for this faith so that you will believe that, Jesus, you're going to work. Now, he's not going to work the way you want it, but he's going to accomplish his purpose. So God, just do your work, will and your work in my life. What are you facing in your life that you need Jesus' authority, his power to come? Expect Jesus to work. Many of you know this feeling. Because when you have this negative mindset, like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna fail this exam. You, you, it's called self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why I said, be careful what you say and what you do. So when you're expecting Jesus to work, Jesus, I'm not in control. You are. Do whatever you need to do. I'm going to go into this meeting. I'm going to go into this job interview. I'm going to go into the situation with my friends or this conflict. And I'm going to believe that you're going to work. And somehow you're going to be glorified. And it's going to be for my good. What would happen in your life if you approach with that kind of expectation because of Jesus' authority? The second thing I want to encourage you with is this. Exercise Jesus' Authority. Exercise it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Declare it in Jesus' name. Cast it out in Jesus' name. I'm wondering if some of us, when we're even in that moment of temptation or struggle, have you exercised Jesus' authority in your life? 
when you're facing a difficult thing or uncertainty in your life, do you exercise his authority and say, God, all of, all of the resurrection power, all of heaven and earth, you're so much greater. So work in this way. I believe it. And lastly, express your faith through prayer. You know, one of the best ways to express that you do believe Jesus can do great things is when you pray. That's why sometimes when I look at people, when I'm discipling or trying to counsel, I really ask them, like, when's the last time you really prayed? Like, we all, it's one of those things where we, it's like, when's the last time you breathed? Have you thought about that? Just now? Because it's one of those things you don't think about. But when you think about it, like, oh yeah, I'm actually breathing. It's one of those things. We know it here. Like, we got to pray. We got to pray. We know this. But when you think about it, you realize, you know what? But I really don't pray. I pray for my meal. I pray when we have a prayer gathering. I pray when I'm meeting up with my life group leader or my LCG. That I pray but when it comes to every single daily life, you don't pray. My hope and prayer is that you will abide so much in Jesus Christ that even as you're walking to the MTR, you're in a spirit of prayer. Even when you're in, your, in the MTR or the bus, you use that time of solitude just to be in prayer. That's why I keep on challenging you. Turn off your phone or put your phone away for those 15 minutes. Think about Jesus. Worship Him in different ways. Pray in the Spirit to pray for your life group members. Pray for your life group leaders. Pray for our situation with our church. I want you to picture this. If every single person in our church, at least 10 to 15 minutes, as we're because we all commute, whether you're driving, bus, we all taxi, we all commute. If we're all praying at different times throughout the day and we are praying during our commute, can you imagine it will be a chorus of prayer of dependence and faith in God that, God, I need you. We need you as a church. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how you're going to provide for us, but we need you. I'm wondering what would happen as God hears these prayers, that he will be so pleased with his children, depending on him, trusting in him, that he will answer and do some amazing things. I pray, and my hope is that we'll express faith and we do it through prayer. Let's encourage one another. Let's challenge one. Let's spur one another, sharpen one another to say, hey, let's pray. Pray on your own. Pray together. Let's pray together as a church. But let's pray and believe that we have all the authority in Jesus' name. We have the authority in his name the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus Christ, and we want to declare that into our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.